Trigger warning. This episode of The Outsiders includes discussions about sensitive topics such as the sexual health of LGBTQ plus individuals, transphobia, and homophobia. This content may be distressing or triggering for some listeners. Also, as per our editorial decision, we will refer to certain sources mentioned in this podcast by their first names only. Subject matter experts will be addressed by their full names, while references to pseudonyms and voice actors will be highlighted by the hosts. Nigeria's healthcare system has been grappling with numerous challenges in terms of policy formulation and implementation. Despite the National Health Act, which was signed into law in 2014 to improve healthcare access for all Nigerians, there are still barriers to access, especially for marginalized groups such as the LGBTQ community. On this episode, we'll take a closer look at the inclusivity of Nigeria's healthcare system for the LGBTQ community and how an enabling environment of discrimination can lead to negative health outcomes for LGBTQ persons. Again, just a reminder, you're listening to The Outsiders, brought to you with production support by Alibi Investigations. And my name is Toda Okwemi. Uh, my name is Adi Yinkashitu. For all intents and purposes on the internet, I go by Yinkaset. I'm a public health professional. I've worked in this space for nearly a decade, which is very relative. So that's a broad spectrum. I've worked across HIV care, mental health, and then health policy reform for the most part. And currently I work in the nonprofit space because I do believe nonprofits have the capacity to change the health sector faster than any other organization. Later on in the episode, you will hear from Ebuka a self-appointed social media health coordinator who has been instrumental in helping LGBTQ plus persons in Nigeria with access to healthcare services. Ebuka will share his personal experience of working with the LGBTQ plus community and the impact of his work. But first, I start by asking Ka to give an assessment of the state of healthcare in Nigeria. I would say we're a thousand ways from where we can be and where we are right now is abysmally poor. If there's any other adjectives I can find, I would use those. That's because if you look at the key parameters that we use to measure healthcare quality, we perform polio across all indices. A key marker is how many people can access healthcare without becoming poor as a result. Currently, more than 70% of people pay for healthcare. If you look at the quality of the availability of health facilities in the first place, so primary healthcare centers are supposed to be the first place that you go to if you have a headache, not a general hospital. But currently in Nigeria, just about 30% of those facilities are currently operational. So that means there's no healthcare available to you. If it's available, very many people can afford it. Then there's the other working parts. So the people who need to treat you are even leaving country by drugs. We are a lot of ways from where we can be. And then when you now juxtapose that very harsh reality, against reality of LGBTQ plus identifying people, then you have a minority within a minority. We have a poly, a disadvantaged group within a disadvantaged group that is Nigeria. So yeah, it's not looking bright at all. And the future is, from my perspective, rather bleak. According to the International Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Trans and Intersex Association, Nigeria is one of the worst countries for LGBTQ plus rights, with homosexuality being criminalized and punishable by imprisonment under the Nigerian Criminal Code, as well as the Same-Sex Marriage Prohibition Act that was signed into law in 2014, which we explored last episode. 85% of the people who are coming to access service for the first time are scared 
because they felt, oh, what if this is an avenue for me to get arrested and all of that? Discrimination against LGBTQ plus individuals is widespread. And this creates an environment where queer individuals are often excluded from accessing healthcare services. Studies have also shown that LGBTQ plus individuals face significant health disparities, including higher rates of mental health disorders, substance abuse, and HIV AIDS. These health disparities are further compounded in Nigeria by the lack of inclusive healthcare policies and the discrimination and stigma that LGBTQ plus persons face when accessing healthcare services. The specific challenges that LGBT persons face within the context of healthcare, I think the first one is fundamentals that we interact as human beings, and that's the problem of language. The language that you describe people that are LGBT plus within healthcare settings is, is bad because it does not encourage adherence to care in all kinds of ways. So it's a place of, if I'm going to access the care, you have a headache. And I say, yes, I do have a headache. Is your headache as a result of the fact that you drank alcohol? I can admit that and just say yes. You have annual warts and I say yes. And say, is it because you are gay? So there's the fundamental fact that the way that language is structured is extremely hostile towards LGBT persons. The second part of it is an attitude problem also very much related to language. So when it now comes to priority problems that people who are LGBT plus face, um, I think one of the ones that easily come out is mental health. Um, having to go through the burden of processing sexuality or processing sexuality under restrictive conditions puts a mental strain on people. And so currently in the way that it is that exists in Nigeria, mental health care is already bad, right? So you have a system that cannot meet their needs, either through language, that is basic compassion, and either through care, which is good mental health care. All right, I'm very closely related to that, which is around the dynamics of HIV care. While, of course, we've improved in, in terms of numbers, um, access to HIV care is not very, it's better than it was in the past, that's to be very honest, but it does not exactly address the problem of inequities. So people in urban centers like Lagos, Potakot, Rabuja can access HIV care very readily. But how about people in the interlands, people in Abakaliki, people in Damaturu, for instance? Nobody's talking about those things. So yes, that's where the gaps are, if you ask me. Inka highlighted a gap that someone like Ibuka is actively trying to fill. He's providing a directory for LGBTQ plus individuals in regions of Nigeria where their representation and access to tailored healthcare are scarce. Ebuka organizes and manages his work through social media, boosting a substantial following of over 26,000 on Twitter alone. It's also worth noting that Ebuka is a pseudonym adopted for this podcast to safeguard his work against any negative publicity that might arise. Ibuka doesn't work within the healthcare sector, but how did his decision to provide support and educate people start? Um, I became passionate about health after I lost a friend sometime in 2015. Uh, he died of some other complications, but he was also HIV positive. But he died of, I think, sickle cell. He was also uh, anemic and all. So it really dawned on me that there's a lot of queer persons out there who take their health for granted, you know? Not really for, not because they want to take it for granted, it's because there's really no one out there that could put a face 
to a struggle or someone that could talk to them directly and say, look, um, you can go do this thing. It's not it's not rocket science. It's not a big deal. You know, someone to encourage people. Um, my friend actually did not mention that he was HIV positive to a lot of persons. I think he got he started getting help a little bit late. Yeah, it became very complicated and he passed. So that necessitated for me to try and talk, especially the young ones who might need that kind of direction. Yeah. Hey, Buka, how has the process been for you so far? I would like you to take me through your process, um, engagement and unique feedback you've gotten that stands out for you. Like it's really hectic because I get quite a good number of engagements on my timeline, but I have times 10 that engagement in my DM. So I have quite a lot of down low, a lot of curious uh, core persons, a lot of people that are just there. Some are influencers, some are celebrities, some are just normal people from everyday life that may have seen one or two messages that I post, that are inspired, that reach, reach out. So um, it becomes a bit very much cumbersome because I try as much as possible. All of, most of them just come and ask you, hey, I have this symptom, I'm seeing this rush here and I'm seeing this, what do you think I can do? And um, I've always resisted the urge to consult for anyone or tell them what to take because it wouldn't work except you see a doctor. So for me, what, what I normally do, I try as much as possible to know exactly where this person is. And I have a list. So um, that was how um, serious it was. I had to organize myself and say, okay, look, if I have to be giving people referrals, I need to have a list of healthcare providers within that region or within um, the six geopolitical zones in Nigeria so that I could be able to recommend. But I, I saw some trends according to the feedback I got from the queer persons that were reaching. I saw some trends in them not wanting to go to particular places because of some reasons. I have an Excel sheet where I document facilities that are within particular regions. For instance, if someone tells me they're in Oka, for instance, I know that someone in Oka, if they can assess anything in Anambra, there is in Asaba. And the proximity is very close. So, and I know somewhere it's on a server. So I just keep just telling them, okay, go to these places. Some go, others don't, but the feedback has been really positive, like 70% and above. Yeah. I would like you to give me a number in terms of like the NGOs, for example, or, or the healthcare centers that you've been able to put together on your Excel sheet. I would like you to give me like a total across like Nigeria that you mentioned, how many are they? Because the idea or like the perception is that they're hiring too many. Yes, I will agree with the aren't too many perspective, mm-hmm. but that's not true. Um, the thing is, the queer NGOs that facilitate healthcare, that give healthcare, aren't too many. However, there are other healthcare facilities that are very queer friendly that may not necessarily be for queer persons, but other people have uh, access to it. And of course, there are quite a very good number of professionals that work in these places. They understand that uh, cases of HIV and AIDS has different contact routes. It is just case of directly from sex. And uh, they know that sexual intercourse could either be between a man and a woman, consenting man and a woman, or two men. So that's uh, MSM, men that sleep with men. So I think these days, most health workers already know and um, they treat uh, all their clients the same. While this may seem like an assumption that some health workers are open-minded, we'll delve shortly into how LGBTQ plus persons also prefer non-queer NGOs to queer or queer-friendly NGOs. 
So with, with regards to the list that I have, in terms of numbers for queer NGOs, I think I have about 10. Now, these 10 of them that I have, about seven have active clinics in their centers, active health treatment plan that they give to queer persons. Why the other three do focus more about more on consulting, more of redirecting cases. But the bulk of my list is actually non-queer NGOs. For instance, some government hospitals, some private hospitals that I know one or two persons in it. But I'm mostly focused on sending or recommending government hospitals to those who don't really want to go to queer NGOs. There are obvious reasons. I've had cases where people refuse to go to queer NGOs. Most of the time, I sort of resist the urge to want to send them to private clinics because it will cost them more. Because you have to look at these things. A lot of persons are going through a whole lot. Um, they're probably not not going to getting the right health care because it's expensive. The other part of it, they are afraid of stigma. They're also afraid of facing the truth and say, okay, look, this is what this is the reality that I have to face. So there are a whole lot of factors which I have to consider because I have I've seen this thing first and I know how it works. What Ibuka shared is an eye-opener, considering that many people we spoke with raised concerns about sharing information about their sexuality and gender expressions. According to a study by the Nigerian Sexual and Gender Minorities Rights Advocacy Initiative, 90% of LGBTQ plus individuals in Nigeria reported experiencing discrimination in healthcare settings. So, what is different when some people prefer non-queer NGOs to queer NGOs like the one Fisayo from the last episode works at? There are plethora factors, like there's several, several, several factors, like a whole number of factors that I've actually come across. I want to categorically state here that there is something lacking in most queer NGOs, which is emotional intelligence. Now, you could sympathize with someone, you could you could want to, you know, you could just do your job as a professional, but it takes quite, it's just like a salesman, right? I believe every queer person working in a queer NGO or every health worker working in a queer NGO that's attending to a queer person needs to have the mentality of a salesman. The salesman's mentality is you want to sell, you want to pitch your sales. Actually, you want to sell. There's a second. Then you want to have retainership of that client. That is the same approach that we need to use. We need to have that approach on queer persons. You, you first of all need to give sell them sweetness. Okay, you you need to assess care here because we have the capacity, not because you can trust us. Because there are some things about trust. Most of the persons that tell you you can trust me are the first persons to divulge your information next. With the, the case of trust is very, very dicey issue because most persons that have actually come across as people, quote unquote, that you could trust are actually the ones that divulge sensitive information. But if they understand that people can assess this healthcare, if they start changing their direction and say, you can assess care with us because we have the capacity to make you get well. We have the capacity to attend to all your STD, STI issues. We have the capacity to recommend the right drugs for you. The first thing first, that person gets interested because they want to get well. Then the second part of it, as you're putting in your professionalism, you are making the person comfortable in trying to seek health care there. So if you've already pitched to them, 
then they agree to come. That means that you've sold to them. You sold your center to them. Then you need to look for several ways to retain them. And retainership in this business goes beyond just sending people reminder text messages about your next clinic day, reminder text messages about health programs that we have. You only hear uh, most of these co-NGOs talk to people maybe after three or four months when they're coming to get their drugs filled again, or maybe six months. Or they want people to come in when they have um, is issues, like maybe you have complaints and you want to talk to doctors. No, I think that the relationship between health workers needs to be handled by people who understand emotional intelligence. A few times within the day, within the week, that you want to check on your clients as a salesperson, for instance, you want to check on your clients and know, okay, exactly what is your client doing, most solutions you can provide. Some, some, someone will be doing very good. And when you reach out to them, they know that, okay, this person cares. This person understands that, okay, I'm going through this treatment. They get encouraged and you make that person your ambassador to bring in more people. But today there is a mad rush for how many number of persons you've tested, how many positive cases you've gotten because of course grants that have been given by donors really want you to show case. So there's a complete disconnect on treatment giving and after treatment care or the responses that you get. Because I could say out of the um, queer NGOs that we have that are providing healthcare, I would say not up to 40% gets the right feedback from their clients. I'm not saying that not up to 40% attend to, no, they, many of them attend attend to queer persons, but not up to 40% of them gets the right feedback from these clients that they are attending to. It is essential to ensure that Nigeria's healthcare system is inclusive and non-discriminatory towards all members of society, including the LGBTQ plus community. Healthcare policies and delivery should be determined by a person's healthcare needs. Efforts should be made by the government to address the specific health needs of LGBTQ plus individuals. And policies and programs should be implemented to address discrimination and inequality in healthcare access. With NGOs, especially queer NGOs that offer free services, one can argue that following up on appointments and kindness towards patients is not necessarily essential. But Ibuka has a differing opinion on that. Look, in Sena Climbs, healthcare is actually free. It's it's we actually pay for extra services. Uh, the particular healthcare that that act of taking care of someone else should be free. Now, uh, for queer NGOs, where most of the services they render is free and everything, it's free that the client is not paying. But other times, it's not necessarily free. Someone has paid for it, right? By someone, what I mean, I mean donors. I mean organizations that really want the best for for us out there, you know. And if we anchor on the part that, okay, because it's free, people should, it's like you're doing people a favor, they should really come and get it. And that's not really their approach to go, look, people are going through a whole lot. And these days, just like we have artificial intelligence, it is more of people that are empathic, people that really want to be in your shoes and understand things that will really, really drive home that message. Let's look at it around the country. There's hardly, except from some private hospital, there's hardly any hospital anywhere that is charging people for HIV treatment. Hardly. I've not seen there are not. So that already rules out whether this treatment is free or not. Our target is clear and simple. We want to have zero transmission at some point, meaning that we want to make sure we contain the cases that we have, keep people on drugs, and make sure other persons get 
prevention, other prevention methods like PrEP, also know how to take PEP. You'd want to believe that there is there is a goal ahead and it's not just about um, stipends or maybe rewards that people get for helping others. For emphasis though, healthcare is expensive and has to be paid for one way or the other. In Sina claims, governments take on a percentage of health financing funded by taxation or insurance, hence reducing the out-of-pocket cost for individuals at the point of service. One example of a government-funded healthcare system is the National Health Service, NHS, in the UK. The NHS is funded through taxation and provides free healthcare to all UK citizens at the point of service. On May 24, 2022, the National Health Insurance Act was enacted, replacing the previous National Health Insurance Scheme Act of 1999 that oversaw both private and public health insurance in the country. The new Act Section 25 and 26 established the Basic Healthcare Provision Fund designed to finance basic healthcare services for all Nigerians, particularly the underprivileged and vulnerable groups. However, some public health experts have criticized this section of the Act for not explicitly stating who falls under the vulnerable groups or how the funds will benefit these groups. The lack of clarity is significant as it weighs into determining inadequate access for vulnerable groups, including the LGBTQ community. Ninka has more to share with us on recent policy updates, but the developments are mostly positive for the general public in Nigeria and not positive for LGBTQ persons. In Nigeria, vulnerable populations are you know, it's, oh my God, this is a lot to unpack. Um, so we say vulnerable populations are people like migrants or um, orphaned people or elderly populations. But within the context of healthcare, however, very closely to vulnerable populations is the concept of key populations. And those are key populations that are known to be disadvantaged when it comes to the spread or the control of diseases. And um, LGBT persons, more specifically, however, men who have sex with men are said to be key populations and they are particularly vulnerable. But if you look at the way the NHI is set up, it does not exactly care about including or protecting the needs of LGBT persons, like expanding health insurance to cover those people or provide for their needs. So there's that fundamental challenge where, yes, healthcare is going to be better for Nigerians in the long term, but maybe not for LGBT Nigerians. The second part of it is on a somewhat more positive light is since like about the 2010s, um, an approach to phrasing policy. It's called the health in all policies. So you say that in every policy decision that is made, within the health sector. You have to ensure that you protect the health of every single person. Now, because of the understanding generally of the needs of, of key populations and vulnerable populations, it's sort of higher in the healthcare sector because doctors or health workers interface directly with these people. Even if their language is not positive, they know these people are real and they're important to driving or spreading diseases such as HIV. So in a manner of speaking, we say that in every policy that you are framing, health has to be accounted for. So in just about every health policy that I know of in Nigeria, there is some discussion around protecting the needs of vulnerable populations to say, oh, if we're going to do a mental health policy, we must ensure that everyone, LGBT persons, it seems like an advancement, right? But the truth is, it includes everyone, but it's not specific as to who it includes. So, what truly needs to change to make Nigeria's healthcare sector 
more inclusive for all? How can we ensure that access to healthcare is non-discriminatory and readily available for LGBTQ plus Nigerians? How can we move the needle and transform Nigeria's healthcare sector from where it currently stands to a more responsive and tailored system that acknowledges individual sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression? What are the steps we need to take to ensure that our healthcare sector prioritizes and respects individuals and their diverse needs, no matter who they are? We asked these questions to some of our sources who were on record for this podcast. But let's hear from Inka first. One key one is diversity education. Now, this is more common in European countries, especially in the UK, where health professionals are talked about diversity. They need to not assume. Here's an example. If a male person presents at a health facility, and after undergoing HIV test, comes out to be HIV positive. Very likely, the question that the average nurse or average clinician in Nigeria would ask you is, um, do you have a girlfriend? What, what, what woman have you had sex with in the last three months? And the man will honestly say, I haven't had sex with any woman. I don't have a girlfriend. So the health, the clinician will go and so assume that, okay, this person is not high risk. I'll place the person on education and everything is fine with the world. The problem is that because they don't understand that men, there are men who have sex with other people who are not women. So there's a strong need for health professionals in the Nigerian sector to be better trained about diversity education. It's extremely important. And not just people who work in HIV care. Now, because the HIV care sex or sort of anticipates needs of men who have sex with men or elder LGBT populations, there's a somewhat better understanding of these things. So they try better than most people. But there's other areas that are not directly um, core queer health. A lot of the challenges that queer people will face in the course of, ac- of accessing healthcare or being predisposed to health problems results because there's not enough psychosocial support. So the reason that young people are coming down with um, HIV or STDs or what have you is because no one is telling them that there's value in them and they don't need to have sex with anyone to validate themselves. So if there's a better framework for providing psychosocial support as is present in many countries, largely in global north, there would be less need for delivery of specialized healthcare. So those are two very low-hanging fruits that I think, yeah, we can we can very, very easily do without having to equity change our laws. Neil Thompson, a program officer at the BCLIMI Foundation, whose work was helpful during our preliminary research for this podcast, also has this to say. So there has to be a reorientation and it has to start from the classroom. I'm talking about back to the primary and back to secondary school. You have to go back and infuse sexual orientation and gender identity back in our um, education. We have to go back and, and add that to our curriculum from the basic. Then back to med school, we, we have to train our doctors and our nurses. Literally, we, we orientate all Nigerians, all Nigerians, and they, they have to be an anti-discrimination law in the country. If there is no anti-discrimination law in this country, you will still have doctors and nurses who will still be judgmental, prejudice, and see what to apply their own um, belief or religious biases. For Hebuka, being an ambassador, encouraging people to tell their stories, and preaching the gospel of healthcare access takes priority. With healthcare, I believe that everyone out there needs to talk about healthcare. Talk about how you how you're handling your own health because 
Like I used to tell everybody, every one of us is managing one thing or the other. And your experience could just be the story that someone wants to hear. You could just be someone's champion. I keep telling everybody that you know underestimate the power of personal testimonies that you could give and your personal confessions that you want to confess privately. It helps people. There are lots of people out there that have not gotten tested. There are lots of people out there that don't even know what it means to go for STI tests and everything. There are a lot of people out there that don't even know, understand these symptoms. They just want to hear from you for one split second and they will be saved. And we all can be the ambassador to stamp this particular uh, menace away from our community. If you've been following this podcast series from episode one, you would have learned that discrimination and stigma significantly affect healthcare access, leading to inadequate addressing of the health needs of LGBTQ plus individuals. Sadiq from the first episode, for example, says it is important to keep homophobia and discrimination against LGBTQ plus persons out of Nigeria. Lastly, Benedicta Oyedayo from the first episode who works and lives within multiple marginalized identities. She's what it means to do it afraid as an NGO worker in Nigeria. She also addressed the challenges of navigating the discrimination laws and views that currently exist, including the pending NGO regulation bill. So because all these laws, policies, we have the NGO bill sitting somewhere, we have all these laws and policies, even existing, even existing, don't even talk about organizing in Nigeria, is very fearful, even knowing that one day, your neighbor that you've been relating with, with so much friendliness, once the person finds out about your sexual orientation or your gender identity, your sex characteristics, and you know, have a way of potentially even killing you, is fear on its own. Not to talk about running an organization and now provide services or support or advocacy for LGBTQ plus folks is very fearful. But we are doing it out of fear. We are doing it in fear and we are existing. We have been existing over time and we are here. Yet it's very fearful. Yet it's a very delicate job. Yet it's a very del- delicate organizing. Sometimes we even forget about fear. We are doing it out of extreme passion and love for community and towards actualizing the core rights of individuals. And there's this thing that says, if you don't document or talk about your experiences, people are going to say something else and say you're lying. And that is why we need to keep taking up spaces. We just need to keep showing up for ourselves in the ways that we have been doing and continually saying that we are queer, we are here, and we are not going anywhere. And we are not going to stop talking. We are not going to stop talking about experiences until, you know, we achieve what our aim is in Nigeria. So we do it in fear. Sometimes we don't even know. We don't think about fear anymore. We just want to exist. My name is Toda Okwayemi. If you enjoyed what you just listened to, make sure to rate us wherever you listen to podcasts and share with as many people as you can to allow more listeners to discover and learn from these stories. For those who have been following these stories since the first episode on Monday, we appreciate your dedication. A bonus episode will be out tomorrow to take you through the journey of how this podcast was created. If it's something that interests you, watch out for it.
This podcast series of The Outsiders on healthcare access for LGBTQ plus Nigerians is brought to you with production support from Alibi Investigations. We've also gotten some of your feedback about producing more stories on minority issues. Good news! We will be happy to announce a new season soon that looks deeper into other issues affecting minorities. Before then, follow us on The Outsiders Stories on Instagram to stay engaged with us. This episode was produced by me and China Zom Guinea, the assistant producer. Miriam Adetono is our medical fact checker. Tomi Olugbemi edited the script. See you next season. Next season.